I'm audible, and as, it was, as was said earlier, uh, the presidency referred to is not the one in your country, but rather my own presidency with the organization on the upper left from your viewpoint, uh, which happened to me basically right after I stepped down, or as I was stepping down as president of the Canadian Scientific and Christian Affiliation. So uh, I thought I'd start by telling you what the Canadian Association of Physicists is, and then I'll explain a little bit more of the philosophy of why I thought it might be helpful at a meeting on uh, uh, science, faith, and public policy. So the CAP stands for Canadian Association of Physicists, and it was established more than 60 years ago, close to 65 now. It's the Canadian counterpart of the American Physical Society, which I expect most people here have heard of. So we're the Canadian version of the APS, and we carry out similar functions. We organize meetings, we do lobbying with the Canadian government, we have a uh, journal called Physics in Canada, which is the analog of the APS's physics today, and, and so on. Uh, this, when I was president, this is the group of people that I worked with on the senior executive that year. We have a 10-member executive committee, uh, five of which are the senior executive, consisting of the, you first become vice president-elect, which I was, I guess, three years ago now. Then you become the vice president, then the president, and then uh, right now I'm past president. I'm in Shelley's uh, position. That's what I've been doing since June. The secretary-treasurer stays on for a three-year term and does not succeed through the line the way that the other four do. <clears throat> and uh, so that was the executive in 2009 uh, until just last June, and now we have a new version where we have a new person, uh, Gabor Kunstadter, in the position of VP-elect, and Henry is now the president, and Mike is the vice president. The uh, CAP Council... Uh, as with the APS, and in fact, as with the a ASA, there's a council responsible for policy and governance, and it consists of the 10-member executive, uh, 20 regional councillors, and 15 chairs of specialized divisions. It's actually, uh, some say Canada is over-governed. That's not only true in its parliament, perhaps, but also true in other organizations. So just structurally, uh, this is the senior executive. Uh, the president uh, is at the top, and you succeed through that line of arrows where the other four exec each have different responsibilities, uh, VP-elect for membership, vice president primarily for running the annual uh, meeting called the Congress, the president that oversees all activities, and the past president that has uh, certain duties concerning student awards, uh, lecture terms, and so on. Uh, there is an executive director, uh, the analog of Randy's position with the group. That is a full-time paid position. It's occupied by and has been for the last 20 years by a woman named Francine Ford. We have a finance officer and uh, also a part-time webmaster. So our paid employees are these 2.5 positions. All the people in those positions in blue are volunteer positions, as are the ones on the rest of the executive that are each responsible for these different activities such as science policy, academic affairs, uh, communications, and so on. I won't read them all out. And then finally, there is the uh, council consisting of 20 regional councillors, the 15 chairs, and a councillor at large. 
And that is the governing body. It's the analog of the American Congress or the Canadian Parliament for the organization. And they, uh, they basically pass votes. But the votes are basically generated by one or both of the top two groups as to what comes to the floor, although technically anybody on that, in that group can introduce something. What happens in practice is they usually speak privately to somebody there. The executive uh, considers it, constructs a motion that council might approve. It's discussed and then approved. Uh, our membership is on the order of uh, 15 to 1,600 people. Uh, we have over 1,000 full-time members, about 388 student members, and 112 joint and affiliate. And uh, so let me get to, that's background, let me get to what this has to do with faith, reason, and policy. And I felt uh, inspired by some of the earlier presentations that it, in many ways I think what governs a Christian in dealing with these kinds of matters is the verse in Micah 3.8, what does the Lord require of you to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So as president of the CAP, I had to be concerned with issues of science policy in Canada, issues of resources for scientific work, uh, public outreach, management of personnel in the office, and the annual Congress, that's the name of what we call our annual meeting, it does not refer to a political body. On the other hand, what about faith? Well, I, was, I decided uh, hearing earlier presentations to retool what I said a little bit. Is we value autonomy of the individual. Sarah said we value the individual. I think the phrase there is autonomy. We respect the freedom and rights of individuals within societies, within our countries to choose. Uh, appropriately within constraints of responsibility, but that is something I think Christians value. We value benevolence. Uh, we want to do good. We value non-malevolence. We basically, we don't want to screw up and make things worse. Um, we value justice and fair play. Uh, I think with our personal relationships in our country and in the context of carrying out science within a scientific uh, society and within the way scientists conduct their business and affairs with one another. I added a fifth one. I think we care about witness. I think we want to, at least I want to as a Christian, try to put in a good word for Christ, speak positively of God, be ready to explain the faith I have within me, as, as Francis Collins said last night. So as I, I go, I'm going to go through some of the things on the left and try and give a bit of perspective about how I tried to manifest these things. Um, that you see on the right-hand side. So science policy. Well, one of the big things in Canada over the last year and a half has had to do with nuclear physics. There's been a major reactor at Chalk River uh, called the uh, NRU, and it basically is broken down. I think it's just about to come online again. It produces about 30% of the world's medical isotopes. It also is a major laboratory for many nuclear scientists to carry out research, as well as all the people that do neutron scattering needed to study various materials and so on. And the loss of that facility has significant impact, not only in the country, but also uh, in, to a large extent, a certain fraction of the world. So it has implications for a broad range of physics, and as a scientific society, uh, we were asked to try and address what will happen to nuclear physics in Canada? And uh, 
so we put out, uh, I wrote letters to the uh, minister of, of the uh, environment, as it turned out, that was partly responsible uh, for this portfolio. Uh, Lisa Rate was her name, is her name. And we uh, also organized symposia and various things to try and address and deal with that. I'll say a little bit more about that later. In the 2009 federal budget in Canada, there was increase for some university spending on infrastructure, and the government thought that would make people happy, but it came with a decrease for funding and basic research, which, as I'm sure all people here know, makes scientists extremely cranky, and we were asked to deal with that. Uh, there was also weakness, while well, universities got some infrastructure money, there was weakness in science infrastructure funding in terms of major facilities access, major labs like the Canadian Light Source in Saskatoon or the Tri-University Maison facility uh, out in Vancouver. So those were the issues we dealt with. We approached them in part by lobbying. Uh, we wrote a brief to the House of Commons Finance Committee and submitted it, and then we were uh, asked to make a presentation to the committee later on that year, and I was involved in both of those processes. I actually went to the committee and made the presentation. This was the first time ever for our organization, and this is one of the cases where I think benevolence came in. I thought it was a case of doing good, of advancing the cause of this particular subdiscipline of science we call physics. Uh, we got many questions, uh, the mo most, we got um, most of the questions about the Canada Neutron Center, which was one of the proposals we had in the brief that the government should carry out a uh, study, a design study to see if it was possible to develop a next generation uh, nuclear science facility that would replace Chalk River. And the government of Saskatchewan is quite interested in hosting this. And we encouraged that and got a lot of questions about it. I would say generally the politician, we're uh, uh, meeting with the politicians on that committee, which were from all the different political parties in Canada, was by and large a positive experience. They took the process very seriously. On the other hand, you're one of eight groups presenting and you get five minutes to present and you get maybe a little more than five minutes of questions. So that part is a little bit frustrating. But Conjunctive with this, our science policy officer, one of the members of the 10-member exec, was uh, invited, much to our pleasant surprise, to appear before the finance minister, Jim Flaherty, uh, along with two members from other scientific societies, the chemists and the biologists, I believe, to discuss budget issues. This was, again, a first time. And I think it was because the government couldn't understand why scientists were so cranky about the rat last budget. They thought it would make us happy. And what I was told from the meeting is that the minister genuinely listened and did not appreciate how important basic research funding was to the overall scientific uh, endeavor. The importance of basic research was very much stressed at this meeting. So what happened? Well, these are the requests we made, a 10% increase for what are called NSERC discovery grants. NSERC stands for Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council. It is the Canadian version of the National Science Foundation. We asked for $40 million a year. I already mentioned that we uh, proposed the government initiate a detailed design study of the Canada Neutron Center. That would cost $5 million. 
and that new funding be given for major infrastructure, that we double the major resources support program for facilities across the country, and that Triumph in particular, that was up for, for another five-year renewal, that they get their money. So here's what happened. We got $22 million a year for the first one. Now that's not as much as we asked for, but it was the first time in four federal budgets that money was allocated for untargeted research. Governments, especially in Canada, like to allocate money for this project, for that project. This is the first time in four years they said, okay, here's money for basic curiosity-driven research. So we, I, that's why I put a happy face there. Nothing happened on number two, and Canada is still in the process of trying to figure out what it's going to do with nuclear physics and its facilities there. Some think we should just get out of the business entirely. Others think we've got to go to the next generation. Uh, we're not quite as happy with number three, but we did get something. We got actually, uh, we did get some money, about 13 million, I guess I didn't write the number down, for a couple of large projects having to do with um, uh, remote sensing arrays, for example. And Triumph did get renewed, but not at 61 million a year, but 44 million a year. So I do feel this is a case where we did good, that our lobbying uh, that the part I put in as president that our executive put into these efforts actually did make some difference in science funding, and I think this would not have happened had we not done anything. Other science policy activity. As president, I was invited to speak at a Canadian science policy conference last October, and I was, as a result of that meeting, asked to write two op-ed pieces about the need for a coherent science policy in Canada and also to comment on the budget, federal budget that came out last February 2010. Our treasurer attended another uh, science policy symposium that was held near Ottawa, so we viewed it more economical that he go since he lives there. Our science policy committee is currently working on another brief to the House of Commons Finance Committee, HCFC, uh, and I was actually dealing with some of those issues as past president just last week. And our Fortuitously for us, our science policy chair has become the chair of the Canadian Consortium for Research, which is a, an umbrella-based body for physics, biology, chemistry, engineering, and so on. And we think this is a good opportunity uh, for physics to get its voice heard in Canada. So I would say what, what I, mostly my guiding principle there as a Christian was one of benevolence. I really was naive enough to believe that, yes, if we push hard and appropriately, we could make a difference. Another issue that's come up over the last year and is ongoing has to do with resources. Uh, the basic grant a person gets in Canada to do scientific work or engineering work is called the discovery grant. It's basically your bread and butter as a researcher. It does not pay your salary. Canada has no analog of summer salaries as they do in the United States. We're paid 12 months a year. But if you want research funding to go to a conference, to fund a student, to buy lab equipment, that's where you get your money. And NSERC changed its procedures in 2009, and this had a big impact, as I'll point out. Um, there were big winners and big losers in the, in the new way of doing things, and you could imagine the winners were happy and the losers were not. But it's clear the status quo of how we used to fund research in Canada is no longer an option. 
And as I'll show you in a minute, competition results showed a lowering of success rates with time. So of course, when this happened, a lot of researchers in physics came to our organization asking, you know, what are you guys going to do about this? How are we going to respond? So here's what basically happened. This is a graph from the year 2000 to 2002. And you can see um, the top line is large universities, middle is medium, S is small. So the large ones would be like U of Toronto, U of Alberta, uh, UBC. They all have medical schools, McGill. The middle ones would be research intensive universities. Waterloo would be one. Um, uh, what would be another example? Um, U of Calgary would be another. Places that do not have medical schools but are research intensive. The small ones do not generally run graduate programs, or if they do, they might run a master's. So you can see that it was going up in 2002 and gradually leveled off. But now there's been, uh, in 2009 and 2010, a decline. And the people down here are worried. Uh, the grant, they've gone from a success rate of 70% eight years ago to a success rate of about 36% right now. And that means there's a very large fraction of researchers there no longer getting funding. And they are concerned about that. But even at the large places, it's not what it used to be. So um, here's another way of understanding the same thing. This line is a line based on the previous amount one had as a grantee and the amount they got in the next competition. And what the uh, NSERC was concerned about was that the best prediction of your new grant was your current grant, which meant almost everybody lay along in a band on this horizontal line. So if you got 60,000 one year, you might get 62,000 the next. They felt this was not reflective of quality so you can see there's a bigger spread. There are some people that are way up here, which means they used to get 40, now they're getting 80. But there are some people way over here, they uh, used to get 80, now they're getting 20. So this is quite a big change in our country. I think your country is more used to having big variations. Ours is not. Here's just another graph that shows the same thing. If you're green, it means you got uh, you either stayed the same or went up, and if you're red, you lost money, and there's a huge number of people that got cut out entirely. So um, this is, these are the data for physics. I don't, won't go into it in detail, except to say green is good, red is bad. Um, there are different categories of researchers here, but the ones down here we are hearing a lot from about what we're uh, what we're going to do about this. And there's particular concern as to whether or not small universities have been hard hit. So what did we do? Well, uh, I initiated a survey to the department's heads and chairs, and we had our director of academic affairs conduct this. And we queried for a number of items, trying to find out how big a change was and what the impact was in the department. But unfortunately, for reasons we still don't understand, we didn't get a very good response rate. From PhD granting institutions, it was 57%. From BSc ones, in other words, no graduate program, 47%. Furthermore, it was skewed. The places that responded were the ones that did better, and the ones that were complaining tended not to respond. We couldn't understand that. But again, with the thrust of 
trying to do good. We could have said, okay, that's it, but we've decided to construct a special working group to address this issue. And in our Congress meeting last June, we got NSERC to agree to have more meetings than they ordinarily would have and to have a genuine dialogue about how this is impacting uh, the scientific community, in particular from our bailiwick, the physics community. I tried to stress some meta values here to the community in a speech I made at the Congress last June. We need clear feedback. And what I think the community needs to do, something we stress at this meeting, Christians are people who ask meta questions. Why do we do what we do? How are we following God? Now, of course, as president of the CAP, I couldn't ask the whole group of physicists to ask them how they're following God. But I could prod them to say, what, are, what, what kind of research community do we seek? How do we really guess, get the best grant value for the dollar? We need to think about this in a broader perspective. Um, when asked privately, I could articulate some of my faith about that. I felt publicly that would not have been appropriate. Okay, outreach. One of the things I did on coming on to the CAP Council is I thought there was a need to better recognize teaching. I think it's a habitual um, occupational hazard of scientists that research is what we really tend to reward more. Teaching is undervalued. And I felt in particular high school teaching. It's very hard to communicate the concepts of physics effectively, but it's important for the discipline of physics because the physicists of today had to be in high school yesterday, or turning it around, the high school physics students today are the scientists of tomorrow. So I propose to the council we have an award for high school physics teaching, one per year for each uh, of the five regions in Canada, which is basically West Coast, Prairies, Ontario, Quebec, and Atlantic Canada. And uh, we had to hunt down sponsors, so I formed a subcommittee to do that and get a number of corporate sponsors that if you have good eyes, you can see at the slide at the bottom, Merlin Scientific, Pearson Publishing, uh, Triumph, uh, sponsored at Perimeter Institute, and uh, BC Innovation Council, and so on. And we, are, uh, we had our first competition this past year. We had nominees of outstanding quality, and actually that's the leftover from another slide, encourage nominations in your region. That won't help if you're in the United States. But if you're in Canada and you're here, you could do that. Um, one of the gratifying things I found about this is it produced the meta effect I wanted. And I'll quote the winner from Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, uh, Robin McKenzie, who sent an email and said, I just wanted to thank you and the CAP for the wonderful celebration we had at Yarmouth High. It is something I will remember with pride for the rest of my life. So they had a special ceremony for her to recognize this award. And what you get out of that is you get students seeing how teaching science is valued. I think this is a good thing to do in the world. I think it is something Jesus would want to have happen. And so that is partly why I did it, and I was happy about that. There are other issues in education and outreach I dealt with. There are a number of programs going on. Some of you might have heard Laser Fist, Laser Fest, Laser Fist, Laser Fest, that was uh, initiated by the American Physical Society celebrating 50 years of the laser. We integrated with that in Canada. Um, Scientific literacy, there's been a lot of complaining about 
scientific literacy in Canada, there's a hostile, ignorant public. We live in a demon-haunted world, to use Carl Sagan. I personally don't think that's right. I think we have an increasingly scientifically curious and literate public. What I think we need to do is more of what we heard this morning. We need to get a vision to grab them from the viewpoint of Christians, hopefully one that will make them faith sympathetic. How do we fill these gaps? And I tried to put a positive message for scientific literacy instead of a negative one. We need to be listeners. Scientists tend to be uh, what Preston Manning, uh, a person who's a Christian, also uh, has a science degree but went into politics in Canada, not a common combination. Um, he claims scientists are source-oriented communicators. We're trained that way. In other words, we speak to people telling them what we think they need to know. You need to know Newton's laws. You need to know uh, the relationship between current voltage and resistance, etc. Um, but when you're speaking to the public, you need to be a listener. And I encouraged uh, our scientific community to listen and to do so for creating uh, and fostering a culture of science within Canada. Personnel management. Here was a case of somewhat more of doing no harm. Um, it became clear we needed to restructure our office at the CAP. Members in the 21st century are demanding a more uh, wired community, a more internet-connected community. And one of the staff people we had, unfortunately, did not have the skills, and it was pretty clear she was not going to acquire them. And we felt that our executive director was taking on too much, so we restructured the office, and this led me to the not very pleasant task of having to inform this staff person that we were restructuring the office and their current position was being terminated. Uh, we tried to do this as gently as possible. We had discussions amongst the exec about how to do that. I can't say much more from confidentiality. But here was a case where we needed to show compassion. And as president, I felt I had to show uh, some leadership in, in showing that kind of compassion. We also, unfortunately, had a bit of an international incident at a graduate student conference held jointly between the Mexican Physical Society, the Canadian one, and the APS, and it was held in Mexico, and one of our student volunteers got into a Donnybrook with somebody, and it tragically turned out, I think the student had a valid claim, but they felt they were getting frustrated in how they were being treated in Mexico, so uh, as one of the consequences of the internet, it's a bit like giving everybody a loaded gun. They went off and expressed broadcast across the internet how they felt about the situation in a way that was not positive and I had to discipline this person. But I did it in a way that I felt had to save face, both for the organization and for the students. So this was done very quietly in the background and, and in a way that allowed them to do it. One last thing about Congress, this is my second last slide. Our meeting was in Toronto in the year 2010. It was the largest meeting we ever had. In my speech as president, I had the opportunity to inspire the physics community. We had Charles Towns there, which I'm sure some of you know, and that gave a very interesting opportunity to get in some witnessing, some science faith discussions, because Charles would get asked, and he's... Um, not at all reticent about speaking about his faith, but nor is he, does he hit people, in my view, with, 
with a bludgeon. This happened both privately at dinners I was, uh, I, I, I was present at with him, as well as publicly when I introduced him to the audience and, and, uh, and he took questions afterward. Uh, one could not help be impressed by a person who was 94 years and 11 months old who had just graduated his 80th doctoral student. Everybody, nobody could believe that in the audience. Uh, it's an opportunity for networking meetings, and, and what I would try to do would be to not only listen, but communicate my faith. And so here's the, the summary. How did I deal with, with valuing the autonomy of the individual? As president, I had to ask, how can the CAP help individuals, scientists, achieve their full potential? Benevolence. What could our organization do to improve or enhance Canadian physics? Non-benevolence. How do we fix, better yet, prevent problems that just are going to occur? Justice. This came in with granting. How do we balance quality? Nobody wants to give scientific money for low-quality work, but with fairness of opportunity. Are the smaller universities being unfairly disadvantaged? This is being asked now by NSERC, and I, I pushed that agenda. And finally, witness. When is it best to unveil the gospel? When is it best to be silent, as Jesus was with Pilate? When is it best to speak a good word for Christ? That is a question I will leave you with. Thank you for your attention. Oh, I guess we're allowed to take questions. We're open for questions. Um... Yes, Lily. Yeah. What do you mean by conformity exactly? In the sense of coherence, we often hear coherence advanced as this wondrous construct that we're trying to achieve, a quality of the construct that we're trying to achieve. But within coherence, I also see some kind of danger of people adapting so much to cohere with the expectation that they may not be able to carry out a nuanced mission of Well, that's a question from an academic, if ever I heard one. Um, so if I understand you correctly, I think there are two issues here. One is for science. Uh, are, is our grant structure, are our programs basically um, causing people to work, to use Kuhnian terms, within an established paradigm instead of just venturing out and, and be curious? That, that I think, is, is an issue with science. Uh, the only solution I really know is we've got to proactively allocate uh, resources to pure curiosity-driven research. And we have to be willing to, uh, and have some forum for entertaining more speculative ideas. To some extent, this is what the Templeton Foundation is trying to do independently. There's a bit of a controversy within government as to how much they can do that kind of thing. 
But in some sense, I think the only way is to support curiosity-driven research. Uh, from the perspective of faith or, or faith groups, I think actually they need, if there's a, a, well, I could talk of many faults the church has, as I'm sure we all could, but there's one thing I think all churches could do a lot better, and that is nurture curiosity, value it in their young people. Um, it's Curiosity is dangerous, of course, because people will ask challenging questions, but suppressing it is stifling. We need, you need this right balance between orthodoxy and uh, creativity, so to speak. Uh, I don't have any great answers beyond that, but yeah, Jay. Um, well, okay, uh, I'll do the number two. But budget, uh, the budget of the CAP is about $350,000. It's much smaller than the APS, which is in the tens of millions. Um, mind you, the lar a large fraction of that is from the American Physical Society journals. Um, but th there's a bit of a parallel is that the... Um, the ASA is the CSCA's best friend and worst enemy, and the APS is the CAP's best friend and worst enemy. But best friend means they actually, I found dealing with the American Physical Society and the ASA, they genuinely want to help. They're not trying to control us or be oppressive of anything. But they're so big that any small movement has a significant impact on a much smaller group. So the Canadian groups in both cases are proportionately smaller, and that impacts budget issues. Um, in terms of getting younger people interested, yes, this is of concern. We have a number of initiatives for that that seem to have uh, success. One is to make membership free for undergrads and dirt cheap for graduate students. Uh, at least that gets them in for a while. The longer-term impacts are much harder. A number of Canadian scientists join the APS and don't belong to our own group. That's a perpetual source of frustration. The other thing we do for students, and this I think has had very strong impact, is we have contests for them where they can come and present their best scientific work. And each of the divisions, there's a division of plasma physics, nuclear physics, particle, um, condensed matter, theoretical, and so on. Each of these groups, and this uh, emerged over the last five years, but it's been consolidated over the last two to three. Each of these groups has a, students can enter in uh, either a poster or a paper and then the best are selected to give oral presentations at the Congress, and then within that, uh, one of them is selected. And this has been very successful. Perhaps this could be done for ASA, though I'll warn you, it takes a fair amount of legwork. But students like the opportunity to present their research uh, at a national meeting, such as our own, and we found that has really helped with student involvement. We got, I don't know, uh, 
200 some odd contributions in Toronto last June. Yeah, at the back. Um, well, they're, they're both uh, very good questions. Um, what arguments did we use? Well, first of all, I, I don't want to give the impression I thought of this single-handedly. We worked with our science policy committee. We came up with a list of 10 possible things we could lobby the government for. You're only allowed to ask for three, and if you break that rule, the government throws out your brief, so you dare not trifle with that. Uh, we looked at the results of that survey was sent to the membership. We looked at the results. The policy committee discussed it. The senior executive did, and that's how it came to be formulated. Uh, Paul Vincent, who is, uh, uh, owns a, uh, he's not a, an academic scientist. He's an industrial one. Uh, he runs a company in Georgetown, Ontario, which is near Toronto. Uh, he has experience with this and wrote the main draft and I and several others went with, did some of the revising of that. And we, we made the case primarily for the, how basic research is the fuel that, uh, uh, or if not the fuel, at least the key catalyst that funds ultimately all of the applied research. It's where the key discoveries come from and that this needs to continue. And if it dries up, the others will dry up uh, shortly afterward. And, and this, personally, I find it a bit frustrating that this case seems to be one that has to be perpetually made, since I'm the sort of person, look, you get the idea, just do it. Why should I have to keep saying the same art? But you do. You just do. I wish you didn't, but, but that's been my experience, that you have to keep articulating why, why it's important. Um, scientists feel it's important in their own right. Now, the other one was the kind of discussions we have about good stewardship. Good stewardship. Well, uh, yes, that, uh, I guess that happens uh, in a number of ways. One happened at our council meeting last June where one of the members raised an issue that we should petition the government or perhaps NSERC, he wasn't sure which, about how um, money for infrastructure and for research chairs was allocated. I didn't mention this in the talk. Canada has a program called the Canada Research Chair Program, which allocates basically, a if a person is a Canada Research Chair at a university, the government pays their salary and gives the university some extra, and then that salary can be used to do other things that are supposed to help support that kind of research, a common thing is to use the freed up salary to hire somebody else that's a more junior faculty member perhaps. Um, there was, cons but the trouble is, uh, the way it's, or well, the, the trouble this uh, person on the council claimed was that these chairs are not genuinely peer reviewed. 
Rather, each university gets an allocation of chairs. And then, of course, politics enters in, which departments get which research chairs. Remember, they're all the sciences and engineering, not just physics. Which, how many research chairs go to what areas, who gets them. And uh, he cited a case of someone who got one of these research chairs, got a special infrastructure grant, a total of $2 million over six years, and the number of publications to come out during that time was zero. This person was a junior person, did not get tenure. In that sense, the system worked. But he raised the concern, rightly so in my view, that this, it shouldn't go this far. This, you know, all this money for, well, what? And now you've got to ask psychologically what on earth would have happened to an individual to cause this. That's another discussion. Uh, but th these, that's an example of where an issue of stewardship came up. And many people felt, no, this is not an appropriate allocation of resources. Uh, this does dis come up um, with discussions about granting all the time. What's the fair way to allocate resources? What's the best impact for the dollar? So yeah, those discussions happen. Uh, they happen a lot. Well, I think there is to advocate stewardship. We try to argue what the best impact for the dollar is, and we a lot of these dollars fund students. Uh, that's, a, that's the best sell. They like that. One, well, here's an example of where I think stewardship uh, did make an impact. We did argue that young personnel are a very good value for the dollar and good stewardship, to use that word. I think I did use that word a couple of times in various contexts. The government did, as part of their curiosity funding, allocate, I'm trying to remember, I think $9 million for new postdoctoral positions. Uh, and that's across all, that's a new program. Now we're, it's going to be implemented over the next year. It hasn't happened yet. It happened in the last budget. And that, I think, was a recognition of that layer of research personnel between PhD and professoriate. It's an area that I felt long Canada has neglected relative to many other countries, this one included. So that is an example of where I think there was a positive impact. Okay, I get, well, one more or not? One more. Although I know people are voting with their feet for food. We have plenty of time. But this next thing is lunch. Oh, well, well, that's good, eh? Like, it's okay with us, right? <laughs> okay, well, thank you all for your attention.